Welcome to the final session. And uh, the reason why we played the aeroplane landing is because I feel like that, uh, that pilot who is uh, trying to land that plane in those fairly challenging conditions. Not that I equate those conditions to uh, this weekend. I think it's been a really tr truly fantastic weekend. But I am trying to line the plane of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Uh, the message translates this as... Uh, you're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're a blazing beauty. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, Evan Baxter, we're going to see more of that um, over the course of... The, we're going to journey with Evan. Evan Almighty is the name of the film. And uh, it's a very interesting story of a man who journeys with God and we'll see him as he transitions from total refusal and disbelief into acceptance. And I do believe that's what the kingdom of God is all about. Um, the power and the glory are equally important, but I, I want to focus this talk around the kingdom. Um, I think the power we understand, and this is in many ways a declaration, and perhaps the thought is that Jesus prayed that prayer, this prayer to his father. We're co-heirs with Jesus. He's our brother, which actually makes us part of the Trinity, which I think is an interesting bit of theology, but we're not going to go there this morning. Um, and um, we reflect his glory. Probably not as much as we will do when we pass into glory, but we reflect his glory where we're at work, at home, whatever we do at all times. In fact, we're reflecting his glory now, which is exciting. So, um, a little bit about me, because who is this guy, and what is he about, and how, where, what is, does he do, and things like that. So, I'm so unqualified to give this talk, and I think one thing that I want to make very clear right from the get-go is that we're all in this together. I mean, the conversations I've had with a number of you over the course of the, uh, the last couple of days, you're way, way, way more qualified to stand up here than I am to give this talk. So, all I'm trying to do, and I think it was... Matt, on his first talk, said, you know, this is in many ways a reflection of my journey and what I've been up to. And if there are some snippets that resonate with you along the way, then hallelujah. Otherwise, think about football or whatever. Actually, don't, um, as Rich said, do please keep your foot on the gas. Not for my talk, but um, the Lord still has stuff to do right up till the end. So by way of introduction, I've just turned 50. I don't look it because I use an awful lot of product, but I have just turned 50. And... Um, I have got one wife, two children, a dog, um, and we live in the Midlands. Uh, we used to live in London for a long time, but we, my work took me up to Birmingham. We live in Gloucestershire, which is prettier than Birmingham, with all due respect to Birmingham, and um, have a great church and all the rest of it. So that's, that's a little bit about um, where I am now. I was born in the north of England um, in 1966, and to a relatively prosperous family, um, which, unfortunately, my parents divorced or separated when I was five, divorced when I was eight, and I was sent to boarding school, which has been the delight of many a counsellor, as I have undone all that manure, and I'm sorry if you send your children to boarding school, but I don't really rate it, um, just, for the, just in case anyone's in, in any... Uh, but, yeah, exactly, for the avoidance of doubt, I think, is the legal expression. Um, I've always had an th interest in things spiritual. Even as a kid, I, I thought there was more more of that in a minute. And I ended up, I used to go to fortune tellers and stuff, and my mother was into that kind of thing. Um, I am an orphan now, both my parents have, have died. Um, but I had no real Christian input in my life. And um, I ended up in the New Age, interestingly. 
And I love the way the Lord works because the new age is very exciting and you get all the sort of interesting bits without any of the hard work because everything's right. Um, and I do believe our Christian walk is, 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 is hard work. And Jesus made that quite clear. Trials and tribulations we will have. And that obviously came from the fall. Um, but uh, the new age is very attractive and I don't want to give it too much airtime. But uh, it, I was into it. And um, I ended up doing Alpha because a friend of mine said to me, I've been asked to go to this church, and I think this guy's, I think the current expression is hitting on me, and will you please chaperone me? And I said, said sure, all, all roads lead to, to God, man. And, <laughs> and headed off to this uh, church called Holy Trinity Brompton in London, and you know what? I was blown away. I do cry a lot, more than Rich, actually, on the crying stage. So, sorry, sorry, can we just have a bit of time out here? Do you know, I've spent quite a long time on this talk. Every single point has been plagiarised by the guys who have spoken ahead of me. <laughs> which, which I can only assume is a good thing, because we're all are going to be coming from the same source, which, of course, is the Lord's Prayer. Even Morgan Freeman. But anyway, hey-ho. So, as you say, we'll see more of Morgan Freeman, but of course he did a great job in Shawshank as well. So, I go to Holy Trinity, and um, I'm wowed by the worship. And in fact, I was talking to Pete last night about worship, and I think there's something very powerful. Even to a non-believer, you walk into a body of saints worshipping, even if you don't know that his DNA is on our hearts. Does that make sense? And this girl never went back, and I ended up doing Alpha. And um, so... Again, through that uh, twist and turns, I ended up, my father's business went bust, which was an upset because I thought it was going to keep me in beer money in a Bentley. And um, so I then went yachting, as you do. And I ended up on the south coast of France, um, the Anglican church there. And um, I had a Pauline type conversion. I had to make a choice. I was very blessed because the couple running that church in Cannes were. Um, missionaries from Burundi done amazing things in their lives and they were evangelicals. As you can imagine, most of the south of France is full of people that are very rich and church is a convenient place to meet before lunch. But these guys really pitched the gospel and they challenged me on my new age faith, sorry, my new age belief versus Jesus and um, I accepted him as my Lord and Saviour. So anyway, that all happened. I come back, I get a job in the city and I've worked in the financial markets for the last 25 years um, and I'm quite a unique animal in the respect that I became a Christian and God put me into that sector. Most people in the city that I know go into the city and then get converted through their career. So I don't really quite know why I'm telling you that, but I'm reminding myself really that, because um, I'm at an interesting crossroads at work, having just turned 50 and whatnot, and to be frank, again for the tape, um, there aren't that many people in banking at fi over 50 unless they're running it. And I'm not running the place, so I have no idea what the future holds. But this, in many ways, is really what the point of my angle and what I'm trying to get across over the next um, few minutes is how do we live, how do we walk out this kingdom? What does the kingdom look like? Um, so anyway, on we go. Um, I've lost my train of thought here. Um, I then get married. My Christian CV up until about 2008 was absolutely perfect. You could have got, you know, I had a Christian wife, I've got some children, um, I help on um, Alpha, I run a home group, I work on the sound desk, uh, I've got a prayer partner for the last 20 years, tick, 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 tick. But I realized that I was cruising and I was freewheeling in my faith and I wasn't actually really making a difference. And, excuse me, then I ended up going to a, 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 an event in Wales 
And there'd been another previous event in my life when I just wept at new wine for no real apparent reason. And I realized that there was more. That I, was, actually, I will tell this story because it's reasonably amusing. Um, at New Wine, we caravan. And um, as I'm sure if you've been to New Wine, it's all intent. And Mighty to Save was the song of the year. And I remember I was doing what the children called the poo. And as I'm sure if you've been on a caravan, you have a thing called a cassette, which uh, we won't go into too much detail, but I was taking the cassette down to the LSAM point to empty it. And as I was trailing my cassette, because it's quite a Gucci one with wheels, and I'm walking it down um, <laughs> like I'm at the airport, and um, I um, mighty to save was singing, was, was being played, and 5,000 people singing, so it was quite loud. And tears just streamed down my face. And I, it was... I couldn't really explain it at the time, but looking back, it's just, again, there's this overlap of his heart and our hearts, because, as I said earlier, we, we, we're impregnated with his DNA. We're made in his image. And I think that was the first sort of real awakening. Anyway, so we go on a couple of years. I end up in Wales, which is a story in itself, and I certainly haven't got time to go into that. But slightly kicking and streaming, I go to this thing, Ransom Heart, whoever they are. I, I bought a tent um, in Wales, and I had a a real realisation that there is so much more. And again, I think any of these weekends can teach us there is a tonne more. But we do have obstacles. And there are two obstacles in my book that get in the way of more and the kingdom. One is tradition, systems, strategies, own agenda within the church. And please, again, for clarity, I'm not dissing the church. The church is really important. But I do think we need to understand that Jesus spoke about the kingdom a huge amount and he spoke about church not very much. And I believe if we're going to change the world, but like going back to Evan Almighty, um, we need to learn how to be aware of systems, strategies, etc., etc., when it, uh, it's all around our own motive. So this next clip, Matt, if your finger's on the buzzer, um, is a clip around how we can get involved with Christianese and systems without even knowing about it. Um, again, there was an element of truth in that, and I just wanted to slightly I think it speaks for itself, but we do get into systems, and we do get into a degree of um, tradition, and actually things become tradition quite quickly. You know, you meet a guy to do praying on a Tuesday evening, and suddenly it's always Tuesday evening. If he then rings up and says, can we meet on Wednesday? Sometimes that can actually be quite challenging because it was always Tuesday, even though it's only been for the last three weeks. So, again, I think we need to be a little mindful of uh, that God is a, you know, he is dynamic. So there's that. Um, deception. Now, I found Steve's talk last night, uh, yesterday evening, um, afternoon rather, um, pretty challenging and I came away feeling uncomfortable. So the fact that I'm talking about this, I'm not speaking from anyone who's got this nailed. In fact, I've got any of this nailed. I'm just talking about it um, because I'm on this journey as much as, as much as any of us. But uh, the whole thing around um, the, the enemy, uh, we don't hear much teaching about it, but we are born into this world at war. Um, we know that. And what does that actually look like? And I want to quote something from Revelation here. Revelation 12, 17 says, So the dragon, Satan, was enraged with the woman, Mary, and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Well, again, I'm sure there's some theologians. I think Revelation 12 is very much debated, so 
but as far as I'm concerned, the dragon is, is Satan and the woman is Mary. Again, if we want to discuss that, come see me afterwards. Um, but went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Well, that's us. So we are born into this world of war, in case you just missed that point. But I think we need to pick our battles wisely. Um, John Paul Jackson wrote a very interesting and challenging book called Needless Casualties of War. If you're interested in that, I suggest picking it up, because what he's talking about is that you know, we need to understand who we pick our fights with. Um, and uh, I'll leave it at that, but I think wisdom does need to prevail. People get unstuck tackling um, entities that are larger than themselves. Um, rest, funnily enough, is a really, really important part of our defense strategy. If we are rested in him, we broadly are untouchable, in my opinion. So if we can sit in that place of rest, and I think rest, again, Hebrews 4, I believe, talks a huge amount about rest. And actually, the consequences if we don't do it. The Lord is into rest. The world is not. And I think rest is very hard. For those of us with jobs and families and stuff, where do you get the time? A bit like, um, again, um, Matt was saying in his talk earlier about how his quiet times went out the window at weekends because the routine's gone. Excuse me, and then you get back into the, uh, you know, you're back to work, right? I'll okay, leave the house at such and such a time, I'll get up at this time and I'll pray. And rest is just as valuable and we need to find it. I think the other thing which is a really important part of um, defense in my walk is to learn how to stand. Many battles, um, physical battles in this, uh, over the centuries have been won by simply standing firm. And the enemy knacker themselves and then um, they're, they're easy prey. And I, you know, the enemy has limited resources. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. But um, you know, as again, as Steve said, all my lines have been stolen. But um, as Steve said last night, you know, a third of Satan when he fell, he took a third of the he took a third of the um, company of heaven with him, which means that the Lord has at least two times. I also personally believe the Lord has limitless limitless resources. It's not a fair fight. We win. But we need to get the mindset of how to win. And that brings me nicely on to my next point. Most of the battle takes place here, in my opinion. There are circumstances. We're not defined by our circumstances. We're defined through sonship. But the circumstances very quickly define us. If we get thrown a curveball, which happens most days of the week, we can very easily go back into the wrong thinking. So I want to play my next clip now. And this is from a movie called Wall Street. Now, Wall Street means quite a lot to me because it's the business that, I, uh, that I, I'm in, so I make no apologies for that. 1980s film, braces and all that kind of stuff. But it's a wonderful picture of deception. And we're about a quarter of the way into the movie. Um, Charlie Sheen plays his character Bud Fox, rookie stockbroker, wants to sort of make it in the big world. His father's an airline engineer, blue-collar worker, etc., etc. And he does business with Gordon Gecko, who's played by Michael Douglas. And Gecko is this incredibly aggressive, ruthless, money-driven, um, status-driven character, pretty unattractive. But there is something about... But Fox knows that Gecko is the way to um, untold riches. But he's done one bit of business with Gecko, and um, they're playing squash. As I said, this is so 80s. And the movie clip starts just after they finish playing squash, and Gecko is saying, I don't need another broker. I have a ton of brokers. I don't need another broker. And Fox is fighting 
to stay in with Gecko. And just watch as this clip plays out how Gecko weaves his web and what ultimately happens. All right, Mr. Gecko, you've got me. Well, and the way that Michael Douglas smiles is so insidious. And I believe, and that's a bit of a blunt, um, uh, in many ways it's obvious what's going on, but this desire um, to have things that we want and what have you, we can be played so cleverly. Um, so the battle zone is in our mind. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 to 6. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to read that again. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians, 5, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 and 6. So, as I said... I believe the battle is in our minds. Every action is rooted in the thought that preceded it. If we don't capture the thought, it can capture us. Our thoughts make or break us, advance or retard us. And wrong thinking can certainly lead to negative behavior. Why did Paul talk about we need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. I personally think we need to be bringing every single situation and every waking, possibly if we could, every sleeping moment to the attention of Jesus. If we don't, we fall foul to this. And going back to the peace and revelation, this constant barrage and if we can get to some point where we can actually, our knee-jerk, and Rich spoke about this earlier, our knee-jerk is to think correctly, i.e. in line with Jesus, we'd take ourselves out of a lot of trouble. But there's also a good thing about trouble, and this is also in James. James 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren... When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James 1 verse 2, if you didn't get down. So trials give, they don't take away. Therefore, we need to embrace them. Now, this is quite interesting theology, and I'm no expert, but my understanding is that the Lord allows situations to happen so that we can grow with them. You know, I don't believe in the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. I don't believe that it's all beer and skittles being a Christian. As I said, trials and tribulations. He's in the process of making us more like him. And to that end, again, Rich mentioned this earlier, I believe that when God looks at us, he looks at us through a Jesus lens. He doesn't see the sin. He doesn't see where we've screwed up. He sees a perfect son. But we need to learn to live from that place. We need to learn to live from that strength. And the trials get us nearer. I think it was Boris Becker who obviously reached fame and, and fortune at a very young age. I think he was 19 or 20. And his net worth was through the roof. And he said, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. 
I'm slightly paraphrasing here, so don't quote me on that, but basically it doesn't scratch the itch. And yet the world, you look at all the advertisements, constant barrage of have this now, pay for it later, and trophy wives, and you've got to have this, and you've got to have that. And in my business, I've seen, I've seen lives get wrecked as people just chase this nonsense. And if I'm being honest, I, I chased it for a bit. Um, but I gave it up because the Lord, as I said in 2010, and 2008 before that gave me a good shaking by the scruff of my neck. Um, but my identity was certainly in work. I was really proud. And in fact, <laughs> hay fever. Uh, there was one time I worked for a large global institution. And I thought, you know, now I come under its protection. We've got an office in every continent across most cities. Wherever I'm in the world... I'm safe. How warped is that? I've got a far bigger... You know, we're part of the establishment. People sort of talk about the establishment. I kind of think, you know what? The establishment is not... We are part of the establishment. We're part of the best establishment there is. Forget this establishment. Um, anyway, I digress. So God could click his fingers and sort our problems out like that. But in his wisdom and in his grace, he does not. He's way more interested in our development... He allows through his grace and wisdom what he could so easily prevent through his power. So he wants to journey with us. Um, we're going to play the next clip of Evan, but I think just before we do that, the first clip of Evan, and this is, uh, as, as you sort of said, as you've seen rather in the trailer, Evan is a, um, he's a congressman. He's just gone into the, so where we're, we're starting out, this is a, the, the um, opening title sequence that we're going to see. Um, he's just starting out, and he, the, the film is setting the scene. He's got his new car, he's got an amazing new house, and beautiful family, everything's going well. He's on fire, and he's got his um, first um, position in Washington, from what I can make out. And then suddenly, there's a ton of wood that arrives in his backyard, as they say in the States. And, um, and then he starts to get this... Um, he gets his visitation from God, who I do think Morgan Freeman plays the role so well. Um, and he's incredulous. He just wants nothing to do with it. So, um, but before we go into that, I just want to say, I think it's fair enough to say that whatever the situation is, good, bad, or ugly, the Lord will use it to further our relationship with him and hence his kingdom. And Evan, who wants to change the world, this is the first part of our journey with him. Oh, just stop there, really. Do you want to take a risk? I was thinking of punishing you guys, actually, just playing the entire trilogy of The Lord of the Rings back to back and leaving here around about four o'clock, but uh, that wasn't part of the... Uh, I wasn't allowed to do that. The other thing that hasn't materialised is my Winnebago. I thought as being asked to speak, I'd, be, uh, I'd have a Winnie, but uh, that also hasn't materialised. Um... So we're going to carry on our journey with Evan later, but I do love the relationship between God and Evan. I love the way that God jokes with him, plays with him, and as we as he, as that journey progresses, so I do need to keep track of time. As that journey progresses, we see more and more of how his um, he he does relent and uh, and obviously does what the Lord asks of him. So we're going to rattle on a bit here. Um, okay, so. Apparently, although I'm not old enough to know this, that when Meccano first came out, 
which I think was sometime just after the Second War, um, the instructions were not 100% accurate. So some kid would get a Meccano kit for Christmas, he'd get all the little nuts and bolts out and we'll start creating this thing, and he'd follow the instructions meticulously, and it didn't work. And the engineers at Meccano um, did this to broaden the mind, to get the, um, to get the kid to work it out for himself. I think that's almost bordering on abuse, actually. But um, I, I, uh, I get it. And I do believe that the journey that we're on with the Lord is slightly similar. And I do mean slightly. But we have this quest. Again, I think men like quests. It's armor, it's gladiator, it's all that stuff of going out there. Uh, but we do it in community. We don't do it alone. We're not a sort of... The new age, actually, is very alone, interestingly. Um, but as Christians, we, we are a band of brothers and we have to walk together because the cost of not walking together is too great. And I'm going to quote this verse because I think it's challenging. But theologically, again, please don't um, ask me too many difficult questions about it. But I think it gives a little bit of a hint. Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bajona." Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And this is the crux, going back to this kingdom. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I do think that there is a hint of this exciting journey that we're on, that the Lord, the kingdom, he's, he really cares about the kingdom. His kingdom is his kingdom. As an aside, we, I think as men, we're very happy to give up quite a lot, our time, our money, and all the other bits and pieces. But our kingdom, my kingdom is my kingdom. I don't want anybody to touch it. And yet, he's asking for total surrender. But if we surrender, perhaps we get the keys of the kingdom. Smith Wigglesworth, who's one of my heroes, an illiterate plumber, um, who God used mightily. There's an interesting biography on him written by some guy who I can't remember his name. And in that book, it, it describes Wigglesworth's ministry of how he healed and saved so many people in the name of Jesus. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's a lot wiser than me, and he said, Rupert, all that guy does is he was obedient. He listened, and he was obedient. And actually, on, this, on the same note, I do believe that the Lord speaks to each and every one of us the whole time. Um, one book that I would also recommend, Hearing the Voice of God by Mark Verkler. I found that extremely useful. And Verkler makes it very clear that as an American conservative, in his, um, he went to seminary and all that kind of stuff and he read this Bible and he realized that the Lord spoke to his people. But he never had any teaching and he went on his own journey to find out. He said, right, Lord, if you speak to all these people in the Old and New Testament, why aren't you speaking to me? And um, I think it's, clear, it's either called Hearing the Voice of God or The Four Keys to Listening to the Voice of God, something along the lines, Mark Verkler, V-I-R-K-L-E-R. And um, I read that book about three or four years ago and it transformed my walk. John Eldridge also wrote a very good one called Intimacy with Conversation, Conversations with Lord or something. You can get it on the Ransom Heart website as a download audio. Um, 
Crikey, okay. One thing that I also want to try and get across is that we're new men. Again, Rich spoke about this earlier. We are new men. The Lord sees us through the Jesus lens. The cross has sorted all that out. Our old man is dead. Now, I, this is the most challenging piece of, the, of, what I, of what I'm sharing for me. If the old man is dead, I'm going to read a bit of scripture just to emphasize this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Can I say that again? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Galatians 2.20 probably doesn't need much introduction. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We are new creations, and we need to learn. And I promise you, I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody else. The old man is dead, but we keep resurrecting him. God focuses on the new man. I actually personally do subscribe to the view that prophecy, healing, etc., etc., words of knowledge, all speak to the new man. The new man is what's going into eternity. The old man was dead and buried when we converted. And as a result, we need to live from this new man perspective. Going back to what I was saying, keeping all thoughts captive for Christ, we need to live from the new man um, point of view. And I think there's a, there's a couple of stumbling blocks. First of all, do we think Jesus was judged and punished enough for our sin? And do we think that God poured out all his wrath on Jesus? And I personally don't believe that enough. And that makes me double-minded. James talks about double-mindedness. We're going back to James again, James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all generously and without um, reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man nor ought to expect he will receive anything from the Lord for being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, I, so guys, I think from, and I, again, I promise you I'm speaking to myself, we need to operate from this place of we're new men. Everything, everything was sorted out at Calvary. In Isaiah, I think it talks about um, he was happy to bruise him. You know, the Lord was happy for Jesus to go through this whole process of the cross. And through that, we're now new creations. And if we dare to believe that and dare to live from that perspective, and we have the kingdom, and we have this mystery and this adventure with him as we explore the depths of our hearts. And our hearts, as I keep going on about, is his DNA. The mystery that I believe is in each and every one of us that we can tap into way better than Indiana Jones. Way better than Indiana Jones. Um, so we do need to sort out our new identities. We need, to ask, um, we need to ask God how he sees us. And maybe that's something we can do in our 30 minutes of silence, which is reasonably forthcoming. Um, I'm going to have to cut this short because uh, I've, I'm running out of time. But very quickly, um, what am I going to do here? Sorry, guys. I'm not professional at this. I do other things normally. Um, so we're going <laughs> to... Um, we're going back to Evan, I think, at this juncture. And I want to say, we've got, so we've got a point now. Evan has accepted he's an art builder. So he's doing what the Lord has asked him to do. So he's obedient. His wife, meanwhile, is flipped out. And she's extremely unhappy. And she takes the children and drives them away. And then she has an encounter. 
Right, okay, so going back to the new man, if we believe that everything was sorted out for us on the cross of Calvary, um, I think this is really exciting because then we can start to be overcomers because our mindset and our thinking and the way that we see trials and, the, and, we, and as our identity is, is, um, is understood, out of that place of strength, we can start to overcome and we can start to dodge perhaps not quite as cool as Neo in the Matrix, but we can start to dodge the poison arrows that the enemy leashes at us. Um, and then actually, I believe as we grow, that at that point, we start to become more than conquerors. I think what Paul was talking about was that when we become more than conquerors, we roll. And the enemy, going back to what we were saying earlier, a third of the company is all he's got, he'll give up on us. Or maybe for some of the time. But it, our, our, we will be well known in hell at that point as somebody who is a threat to their offensive. Um, now, that all may seem a little bit weird and a bit off-piece, off but I do think that's ultimately what we're called to be. And I think, again, the risk, and as, 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 as Morgan Freeman said, are you prepared to take the risk? There is risk in here. There's risk of the fear of man. There's risk of all sorts of things. But I believe as, as time goes by, the cost of, of walking this walk is going to become more and more expensive. But there are a couple of things that I think um, we need to talk about. We have a fast, fantastic inheritance. I believe a degree of that inheritance we will taste here on earth. Philippians says, um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In, in 4.13, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And Ephesians 4.23 and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created, righteousness and holiness of the truth. Um, so we're now going to go back to Evan for the final time before we go into our... Um, I've overshot by five minutes, and I think that's okay. Um, I'm sure I'll be reprimanded accordingly. If, uh, if, um, but I do want to, have to say one thing as we, after this clip, if that's right, Rich. Is that okay? Um, so we're going to finish up with Evan. And this clip really broadly does speak for itself, but just look at the relationship. <sighs> oh, hey, Fever. In fact, just look at the relationship. It says it all. <laughs> A little cheesy, perhaps, but um, I do think that relationship that uh, God and Evan has is exactly what we should assume that we have. <sighs> That's bad hay fever. But guys, that's the, that's the rub. And I believe he weeps over us and he wants us to have that relationship with him. And yet, like Evan, we fight it. Oh, can't we? So, okay, enough of all of that. But it, when I was looking at these pieces, I wept and I thought, I pray I don't, but I, do, I have. Anyway, no shame, no shame. Pierce the shame. So um, we're going to wrap up um, now, and before we go to our sort of three minutes of silence before um, coffee, uh, I, there's another part of his kingdom that I want to touch on very, very briefly, and that's nature. Now, I'm not hugely into nature, a bit like Steve. I haven't got a kayak. I haven't got anything by North Face. Um, I don't really do nature. I, don't, I, mean, I only camp at these weekends um, and stuff like that. I have a caravan, which I've already discussed with you. 
So, um, but there is something amazing about God's creation. And again, a person way wiser than me, when I was facing something quite difficult at work, he said, this is when I was still working in London, he said, go and find some nature. And there was a creeper crawling up a building. And the perfection in God's creation is indescribable, actually, when we bother to stop and look. Again, in our busyness, normally we don't really have much time to do that. And, but I do believe nature cries out, shouts out, hallelujah. You look at a fern, you look at a leaf, you look at a river, a mountain, the beach, the sea. The whole earth shouts hallelujah. And I don't really understand how Eden, the fall and all the rest of it, but I do believe we only see through a glass darkly when it comes to nature as well. When we're in our full glory, um, everything will be so much more real. I think it was in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, how the grass was so real it hurt their feet. Or it went through their feet, I can't remember. But it's something wrong. The matter was much greater. Um, I'm going to play you a, an audio clip in a minute, which I want you to, we'll, we'll go out to when the, this um, slide comes back, it finishes. About two and a half minutes long. Before we play this clip... I want to mention something to you which I just love because it appeals to my sense of creativity and orderliness of God. And that is a man around about 25 years ago who was an accomplished composer and a very keen twitcher recorded a Skylark. And this was in the days when digital, digitizing music was very new. And what I mean by that is, for those that you don't know, you can... Did, you can put the sound of the Skylark onto a computer and you can slow it down without reducing the pitch. And so he did that, because obviously in tape, if you slow tape down, the pitch drops. So he did that and he transposed the sounds of the Skylark made. I think it was like a three-second sample spread out. He took those notes and put it onto a music staff or whatever it's called. And... He overlaid that with one of Mozart's earliest concertos, and it was almost an exact match. Wow. Now, again, I don't know much about Mozart, but I think he was about three when he wrote his first concerto. So he must have had some kind of divine intervention, and so has the Skylark. And, I, guys, I think when it comes to the kingdom, because I don't think, please don't think I've gone too much off topic here, because I'm trying to wrap this, as I said, I'm trying to land my plane. Um... But I do think that there is something intrinsic about the kingdom of the Lord and nature. And I think if we're coming off track, maybe nature is a good place to go back to, to get ourselves realigned with him. Um, now, on another story about birds, um, we're going to listen to a nightingale. And again, I'm not a twitcher. I, kind of, I didn't know what a nightingale sounded like until I heard this. But also, I want to try and get through that the kingdom always shines through. And the story behind this clip is there was a lady in the 20s, I think she was a very accomplished cellist, who was quite pally with the guys that ran the BBC. And she said, you know, I've got this lovely nightingale that sings in my garden in Cobham in Surrey. And the guys that ran the BBC said, oh, that'd be fantastic. Can we send a sound crew down and we'll record it? Because we still had an empire in those days. And so people, as they're sipping their pink gin in Mumbai, or Bombay as it was called then, can listen to the nightingale in Surrey. It'd be lovely. So they send the truck down, wire it all up, get the nightingale going. And of course, there's no recording in those days. And the, and the um, nightingale is broad, broadcast across the empire. Then the war happens. But they still have this tradition 
of recording the nightingale in this lady's garden. Recording did exist by then. And in 1942, there was a detachment of Lancaster bombers sent out to go and um, do their stuff in, the, in Germany. And they're making the recording and broadcasting the nightingale. And the sound engineer had the wherewithal to unplug the transmission. Because obviously, if somebody listening out in Germany would know that there's a whole fleet of bombers leaving Surrey. But he kept the tape on. And as we go out into our 30 minutes of silence, spend as long or as little listening to this as you want. It's two and a half minutes. But there is something quite remarkable. You hear the nightingale doing its thing, crying hallelujah in my book, because that's what they do amongst, I'm here and give me some food and whatnot, but they're still shouting out hallelujah. And at the same time, you've got these Merlin engines as these guys are going off to do what they need to do. So before we play that, I would like to pray briefly and then uh, enjoy our last time of silence together and the klaxon will bring us back to coffee. So Father, thank you Lord for this opportunity to speak to this band of brothers. Thank you that we are your church and thank you that you love us. And actually we love one another, however easy or difficult that is, but that's our calling, love one another. And I pray that as we go out into this period of silence that you would speak to us about your kingdom, you'd speak to us about our sonship, and you'd speak to us about these wonderful secrets and this journey that we're upon. And Father, may your will be done here in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 